listening to part three of my conversation with Becky Haddad, where we talk all about um, her view of officer retreats. She does not have, um, or she did not grow up in a school where there was agriculture FFA offered. Um, and so she has a little bit of a twist on how she um, worked her officer retreats when she was in the classroom. Uh, we also talk about something um, that I have utilized her expertise on, and that is getting funding for your program. Um, more specifically, kind of grant writing um, and different places to find um, funding for your classroom. So it's going to be a good one. As always, if you um, if you like the episode, go ahead and like, subscribe, all of that stuff, and I hope you enjoy. Hey friends, this is Hannah Wedger, an agriculture teacher in St. Paul, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes. And I'm here to talk all things agriculture education related. Curriculum, classroom management, FFA, career development events, SAEs, and whatever else you want to hear about. It's basically me sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with all of you. So, let's dig in. I have a lot to talk about, and both of them are really interesting to me. Um, so, officer retreats was one of them, um, and I... I try to be as honest as possible on the podcast, but like FFA and, and whatnot is not one of my strengths, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and officer retreats, I absolutely struggle with. So I'm excited to hear kind of your tips and tricks for officer retreats. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> you can do it. Okay. So this kind of goes back to the intro at the beginning where I, I do not come from an FFA program. I did not in high school. Um, and so thinking these, these things, I maybe think about these things a little bit differently as far as like, I came into my undergrad program having no clue, like no clue at all. Um, and so they said, you should do this. And I said, all right, if that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And so our first our first officer retreat, we, um, we met at, this is, this kind of goes back to the like transition thing. I didn't know any of the kids. I didn't know how to get a hold of anybody. Like I came into a program and I went, okay, like, yeah, right, here's stuff. <laughs> um, and so I had two students who were FFA officers who were on my interview committee and I had their numbers. And so it was mostly coordinating through them and said, Hey, I'm going to be in Glencoe. Like how many of you can get together on this day? And so we sat at Pizza Ranch for like three hours. It was a three-hour officer retreat. We sat at Pizza Ranch. We ate our pizza. (laughs) And we talked about kind of what the year was going to look like and what goals they had kind of moving forward and like, you know, what – it was a lot more of like what has your program looked like and what do you want – like what do you want it to be? Because I had nothing to be like, your program should be like this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um. And so they did, they, they had some ideas and, you know, I, I give that crew a lot of credit because for, they, they were some high schoolers with some vision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some big, some big dreams and some ambition and things. I think 
things that that first officer, so those first seniors who stuck around and who were officers my first year teaching who kind of said, you know what, this isn't going to be a thing for us, but it is going to be a thing for, you know, the people, the people who come after us. And so um, I think it, it was really cool to have that core crew my first year who were really like, you know what, we're, we're not going to accomplish a ton this year, but we're going to, we're going to leave something for somebody else. And so, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> and, and I've never really thought about it that way before, but when I think about some of the conversations we had and some of the things that they talked about, like, I, I mean, I got really lucky with when I, when I came to Glencoe, like the alumni president was in my, was in the classroom the second time I'd ever been there. It was like, Hey, I want to get alumni chapter started. Can we do that? Uh, yeah, please. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. But so that first officer retreat, our, the president for that coming year said, I really want to do the national chapter app. We haven't done it in a really long time. It's something we should do. And I knew nothing about the national chapter app. So that first year he sat in, he sat in the office for every single one of his study halls. He was there before school and after school trying to do this national chapter app by himself. I was no help. I'd never seen the national chapter app in my life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was almost, almost sad to watch. Cause he just kind of like, he tried to plug through and he didn't get it done um but had gone through enough of it and then we had both kind of gone through enough of it that we understood a little better what we needed to do the next year sure and it's gonna sound like you know planning towards the award but having gone through the i mean having loosely gone through the process the first year and recognizing that oh hey if we could actually like use the national chapter app as our planning tool like hey look it says what activity you're going to do and that you're supposed to have goals for those activities and like I don't know actually think about some of these things before the week of yeah kind of kind of changed how we did our officer retreat and so the next year the kids hadn't really had an officer retreat and the officer retreat was a lot more about the team bonding and the like you know what what could this be so it was it was camping it was a lot of team building stuff and it was we did some planning but it was a lot more you know, we learned a little bit each year trying to do the national chapter app. And really, we didn't actually apply for the national chapter app until my third year. And okay. it was bad. Like, <laughs> bad. Ask anybody who sits and judges those. Like, it was a terrible app, but it was done. And it was a huge accomplishment for us as far as actually, actually getting to the point where we had written out goals enough and actually thought about, like, taking the time at the beginning of the year to think about what do these different things look like. Yeah. In between my third and fourth year teaching, I had a baby. And so things, things changed as far as how we had to think about what we did. And that's where we really started thinking about, okay, here are the things on our national chapter app. Do we actually need to do all of these things? Um, and so I stole some ideas from Julia because she came to Minnesota, I think, that year. Um, and she had, she had done a really cool workshop at the winter, at winter MAAE where she went through and she, she did, did kind of a what's on your plate activity for teachers and kind of a work-life balance workshop. And she did a, she did a chopped kitchen. So she had all this different food stuff and we all had to kind of like put these different things together and figure out what our dish was going to be from the foods that she had. And we had to like kind of the moral of that one, the moral of the story on that one was, you need to, you, you need to use everything in the basket, right? So thinking about your own FFA chapter, what's in the basket? How are you going to use everybody? How are you going to capitalize on the kids you have and make everybody feel like they, like they count? 
And then the next activity was, okay, let's look at your actual plate. So, you know, you do the, the my plate, the, the, um, I don't even know who puts out my plate, but, um, you know, it's all broken up into the different sections of like what you should actually eat in a day and what's healthy. And so, you know, kind of looking at, you know, what's on your plate as a nine teacher and where does your family go and where do your FFA kids go and what are, what's actually in those sections and are those things filling you up and are those things the right things for you to be consuming um, as far as your time goes. And so I took those two activities and did them with my students for that, um, for that next officer retreat as far as, you know, as, as starting that conversation as far as the planning went. Because we often had, we'd plan all these great things for February, you know, for FFA week and we'd do, like, we'd have cool things, but kids are traveling for basketball and wrestling and all these other things that we really had to step back and say, what's, what are you actually doing? And yeah. when, when are you available and when can you actually commit to doing these things? Let's back up and say, what are we going to put on our FFA plate before we try to set goals for a million things that we're going to really struggle to get done? Sure. Okay. We went through that whole process and we had a whiteboard covered with sticky notes and I will never like we cut, I told the kids any, any activity we do that you can think of for FFA, put it up on the board. And then I gave them another sticky note and I said, any, and like I broke the board up into different months. So put it in the month that it happens. And then, um, they got a different colored sticky note for other things that they were doing. And so you know, if they were supposed to be home for dinner and weren't going to be able to stay for after school stuff, they had to put it up on the board. If they played basketball or if they were wrestling, they had to do sticky notes for each month that that season was on. Um, and so we got all those up on the board and it was a mess. And they sat there just like exhausted and overwhelmed. And um, I had an assistant advisor at the time and I looked at her and I said, oh gosh, now what? <laughs> to do with it like the, yeah. the intent hadn't the intent hadn't really been to like start cutting stuff out and saying nope we can't do all this but um it kind of just snowballed on itself where we said all right what what's feasible now that we can actually see where your time is you know what are the things we have to do you know we're gonna have an ffa meeting every month okay you know we'll move that like we had another like actual calendar so we'll move that sticky note over there can we move things to different months if months aren't busy, you know, what, and really actually thinking about what our year looked like, um, which was, which was a really healthy thing for us to do and helped us kind of, I mean, my daughter was at that officer retreat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thinking about like, what, what should this, what should this look like and what's, what's feasible? Like what can, what can we actually commit? And that may had us much better able to then pick a reasonable number of things that we could set goals for. And when we started going through and saying, you know, here are the different things that an FFA chapter should be doing by the national chapter app, like we could go through and say, well, this doesn't really fit with anything. How important is it that we do this? Is this something that's tradition and our community does? So we're going to keep doing it. Or is it something that we're not that attached to that nobody shows up to anyway that we can say, maybe not, even if we've done it for this amount of time. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that was just before year four. So it took, like, it wasn't something where I could have come in year one and been like, all right, let's scrap the whole plan. Yeah. <laughs> it took that time to get, I mean, that's now kids, now your officers have been with you that amount of time. It's, it's not, I don't have a quick fix or like a, like, here's the perfect officer retreat, but yeah. 
Um, and the thing I shared isn't even mine. It's Julia's. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I was in that same workshop and I remember, I remember that and I, have not transferred it to my officer retreat, but what a great, great way to be able to do that. And I am such a visual person too. So just being able to like visualize seeing, and I think for my students too, like to be able to visualize, these are all our commitments and how can we make this work? And then I really like what you say about like, let's pick the things that are the most important and that more people come to and whatever else I think is a, a great strategy as well. Yeah. Um, and other than that, it's a lot of just kind of the, you know, what are our expect, how do we convey our expectations for communication and teamwork and those types of things? And how do we break up all the planning? Um, but the progression of our officer retreats became much less of like the fun and the hanging out. Like we do, we do a day of like, get away, do the fun stuff. We're not going to do any of the planning stuff yet. Yeah. Planning. I think we had, we had a night that we slept at school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Um, we did the camping night, and I think the boys stayed in one room and the girls stayed in the other. <laughs> they, like, the kids, and the kids planned it. They said, well, if that's, like, if that's what we're going to do, it makes the most sense for us to do it this way instead of doing it this way. Um, so, <laughs> that only happened one year. Otherwise, they went back to the campsite. Like, we'd plan at school and then go back. <laughs> Fun stuff in the evening, but. Yeah. Like, if you have the time making sure it's a good balance of of the fun stuff and the and the work of an officer retreat but i don't i think it depends on the kids in the year as far as what that good balance is so yeah absolutely and i feel like the the groups that i've worked with too like sometimes it seems like it's really easy for them to make decisions about scheduling and stuff like that or like figuring out goals and some groups it's like painfully long <laughs> yes oh my goodness so true so then it's like I feel like I need to step in and be like okay these are your two choices one or the other <laughs> right right absolutely yeah that's a I am really thankful for that suggestion because I we're looking at our officer retreat here in the beginning of August and I think it'll be really helpful to have that that little sticky note thing in my back pocket <laughs> with the chopped and all that good stuff. <laughs> I can't wait to hear how it goes. <laughs> Last thing I want to talk to you about, and I um, am really excited about this one as well, is funding. And I, um, not anything against the school that I teach in currently, but the funding that I have for my classroom is sad. <laughs> yeah, it's really sad. And when you think about um, like agriculture classes, like we need quite a bit of funds to make like good stuff happen in our classrooms. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think science classes are like that and whatever else. But man, it's like if you're running a greenhouse or if you are teaching even like an animal science class or whatever else, a food science class, Oh my goodness, oh my so God. many consumables. <laughs> so oh, what piece of the wisdom do you have for funding? Know your Perkins coordinator or be the Perkins coordinator for your district. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, I mean, I was kind of fortunate in Glencoe because the industrial tech teacher I worked with was our Perkins coordinator the first three years and he'd done it in other districts before. And so he had a, he had a very, very good handle on you know, what we could spend Perkins money on and how to allocate Perkins money and how to allocate Perkins 
money equitably across the CTE departments that could actually use it. Sure. And so he was an awesome resource as far as actually learning from him and like what, you know, what can you ask for and what can you do with that, with that Parkins money? Um, I think in Minnesota, we're really lucky because we have some, some really cool funding opportunities through the FFA foundation, um, through MLC, um, Minnesota Ag Ed Leadership Council, for those of you not in Minnesota, <laughs> uh, who are, who are still like, what is MLC? Yeah. <laughs> it seriously took me a whole year, I think, before I was like, oh, okay, MLC. Yep, yep. <laughs> I wasn't even sure. I don't think what Sarah was saying the first time she, the first time I heard MLC at a summer conference. Yeah, she's a speedy talker too. So, <laughs> so I think I just kind of made it my policy that if there was a grant available, I was going to apply for it, which I don't necessarily advocate as a policy. Um, and not because I'm still applying for the grants and don't want you to apply for them, um, <laughs> but because it's, because it's a lot. And so some of it is sitting down first and being strategic about you know, what, what is my plan here and what, what do we want this to look like? And so the industrial tech teacher and I, the, my second or third year teaching sat down and said, what is our strategic plan? What classes do we want to offer? Um, what do we want a program? Like what's, what do our programs of study look like? So if those aren't established for your district already, um, which ours weren't, um, if they are, you've kind of got some of this work already done, but really going through and being purposeful about, you know, what classes do I want to offer? or what supplies will I need, and really kind of figuring out, you know, what, what is it that I need? What are my wish list items? What do I want? Um, and then being a little bit more, more choosy about the grant. I mean, I applied for like everything, and it was exhausting, um, because it's never just the grant application, and it's their, it's their reporting, it's sending them pictures, it's doing their press release, it's, it's a mess. Um, and it's a <laughs> <laughs> I had just gone into the grant, grant, like I've done a couple of grants in the past year and a half or so, and it is like the grant writing process itself is like it kind of exhausting and just like the information that you need to provide and whatever else. Yeah. And then like the follow up of like, like you said, like reporting reflection, you know, how have you used it? Have you used it all? Whatever else is also very exhausting. But I will say that. After I did the first one, I feel like I was able to use some of that like demographic information and whatever else yes. for over to other ones. So yes, helpful. that is so, so true. Like once, and one of the things, if, if you're going to just start applying for grants, one of the great things about applying for a lot of them is you start to kind of build this of responses. Um, yeah. You know, so you can start saving your narratives and start, you start to have a better idea of what things cost and where to look for writing those budgets for grants. Um, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of grant writing, which sounds really nerdy and weird. Um, but I like, it's kind of the thrill of the chase, which is again, weird. Um, <laughs> you got to get a little bit ready that you're not going to get everyone you apply for, which is hard because you get attached to like, they take some time. So yeah, all the work that you've put into it. It hurts a little bit when you, you go through all this, like, and you're already busy schedule, and then you go, oh, man, come on. I know, yeah. <laughs> and, like, so, I mean, I got a MLC grant my fourth year teaching, in between my third and fourth year teaching, um, but I got declined for a lot of MLC grants before that, 
I'm pretty sure the one I got was a pity grant. You're like, all right, just leave us alone. Stop sending us these terrible grants. <laughs> but, <laughs> but one of the good things that came out of that is now I, I teach a class on grant writing and you know how to actually write the grant narrative. And so as you think about kind of putting those things together, you know, you start to, if you do that strategic plan and you've got those, those goals for your program, you've kind of got your goals already written or your goals that you can go back to or that, you know, this, this addresses this objective of our strategic plan. And so we have these goals for the project. And going through, and like you said, having that demographic data and note, like, this is my paragraph of demographic information for my school district. Like, I know this is the population and these are, this is the percent of our student body on free and reduced lunch. And this is the, um, the background breakdown on my students and I've got, you know, you've got all these things. Can I do it like write a nice description of your program? Like what give your and give yourself some credit. <laughs> you have when you're writing a grant, this is the only thing people see about your program. If they know nothing else about it, you gotta brag on yourself a little bit. So how many students are in your program? What are the things how active are you? What are the things you do? What classes do you offer? Um but also keep in mind that those narratives don't have to just be a seven page wall of text. Um, put your classes in a table um, if they rotate or, um, you know, put your objectives in a bulleted list or and things like that. So it doesn't have to like, be creative with how you represent stuff to and kind of what your, what your vision is. You know, if you're doing building space, if you've got kind of a floor plan that they can kind of see, Oh, this is what they want to do. Cool. If you have, um, so like the grant that I did, it, or the grant that I actually got, I shouldn't say the grant that I did. <laughs> I actually got was to get new, new furniture. And so including pictures of what would that furniture look like versus what's there now. Because um, they don't count against any word count. Um, but being creative with the actual space and the narrative to help people really, really buy into the story that you're telling about why you need this funding, I think is really, really important. Yeah, I so why I started in the, the whole grant scene was we um, kind of I was approached to do kind of like a career pathway, college and career pathway within the um, school that I teach at. And yeah. so they wanted to do an agro science pathway specifically. So it really forced me to sit down and say like exactly what you said what classes am i teaching what rotation rotation am i teaching them in what classes do we offer that um, have concurrent enrollment or are transcribed um mm -hmm. you know college and the schools classes and then from there i was like okay if i'm gonna teach a you know an animal science class that's getting college credits from this university i need to be able to do these labs or similar and if i'm going to do those labs then i need this equipment um and so i this summer actually have sat down and like i have a, a ridiculously long wish list like it's so long <laughs> is that a thing i think i feel like it's good to have that kind of wish list well, and it's good. Yeah, it's so good because I, I also received a MLC grant um, in combination with another grant to get um, to get this career pathway started. And so it's super nice to be able to use those kind of together. And OK, I'm going to use this grant specifically for the animal science part of this pathway. But then how am I going to use this other grant to be able to get, you know, X, Y, Z done? Mm -hmm. um, on, on that side of it and so grant writing is scary but <laughs> it's really it is helpful. and 
and it like scary is so right because you're I think one of the things I found in kind of teaching grant writing to undergrads is like we we get so attached to the, to our writing piece of it yeah um, and so some of the applying for a lot of them and kind of getting shut down is like all right well if not this one the next one <laughs> yeah at some point like you said at some point someone's got to give me something <laughs> yeah exactly and you like it, it takes some grant writing takes some fortitude like you're you may not get the first one you apply for or the first 10. Um, but eventually you're also in, in writing all those, you're also going to get better at writing grants. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a ton of funding and it sounds so funny. It's like everybody says there's so much funding that doesn't get claimed, but there's, there's funding out there. So, um, I think, you know, asking your, asking your team, I you know, where, where is the funding that I can apply for? You don't, you don't have to take all that on by yourself to find where are those different things. Cause you know, we talked about work-life balance already. <laughs> Does not go out and apply for all the grants, but you know, if, if you're, if you've been thinking about it, like try one, you know, and if you don't wait and try another one, like a lot of grant narratives, you'll get feedback on why, why your grant wasn't accepted. So you can do it better next time. Yeah, and I would check with your school district too. Like our school district is big enough where they have like a grant department. <laughs> and nice. So, yeah, they will like, you know, proofread it and whatever else kind of go through and help you out a little bit. Um, and awesome. I have asked other people for help too. So <laughs> I think that's a really, I think that's like, it's okay to ask for help or ask other people, you know, like you got a grant recently. What what was the budget that you used or what, yeah. you know, where did you get that equipment from or what did you write down? That sort of thing. Um, I think is, is, I would say okay to do. <laughs> I don't know what other people think, but I think I know. Absolutely. I'm on team help everybody out. So <laughs> you should also know that Hannah's saying that from experience. Cause we kind of started this whole conversation when Hannah said, Hey, <laughs> you got a budget. Send me your budget. <laughs> yes. So, Absolutely. Yep. I, I know that Hannah's not saying that from just like a, you know. <laughs> yep. Some of your grant writing skills I honed in on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. I also just want to go back to the Perkins. I know that our program um, in St. Paul is really heavily supported by our pro our by Perkins and yeah. our Perkins coordinator um, is is fabulous and and letting us know you know you can use money for that you can't use it for that um, we can cover that or whatever else and really really you get using Perkins funds to the most of their ability yeah um, absolutely and so I think you know if if that's available for you um, like you said becoming friends or, or just becoming um, acquainted with whoever the Perkins coordinator is in your district um, or your school or whatever it might be. And then just really finding out what can you use that Perkins money on and what can't you. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I, one other thing that I am, I always tell people to do and I really hate to do it, <laughs> um, but is to just ask for donations and stuff like that too. So mm -hmm. I needed a couple of bags of soil for my classroom this past year. And I was like, okay, it's like maybe 20, 30 bucks per bag, whatever. 
about that and I was like, well, I literally have a, like a very, very small budget. So that's actually quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I just asked the Minnesota Landscape Association, do you have anyone nearby that could donate stuff? And it was like within 30 minutes. Yep. I have three different people. Which one's closest to you? So like, and I hate doing that stuff. I don't know what it is. Like it just like gives me anxiety. No, I'm a hundred percent with you. It's so hard. But for great, um, great writing somehow it's easier, but it's so hard to ask people for money. Oh, I hate it. Like makes me cringe. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's just so nice to be able to get those donations in with that, I was able to make a connection with a landscaper who worked nearby. <laughs> so awesome. I think that's um, one thing that like, I, I hate to do, but it is, it is good. We get, um, I asked Trader Joe's too, they have beautiful flowers. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you guys do once they're like, you can't sell them anymore. They're like, oh, we just donate them. And I was like, oh, really? (laughs) I'm the floral design teacher over at the high school. And so then they started, you know, I would be able to get a few buckets of flowers to dissect. Awesome. Kind of trying to figure out those different people that you can ask. Yeah, absolutely. They tell you no, and I feel a little bit hurt for about a day. And then I'm over it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been a fabulous conversation and like I said, the very beginning, a long time coming (laughs) (laughs) with all our technology issues. Um, but I really, really appreciate all your expertise and knowledge and all the things. (laughs) It was super fun to get to chat with you. Um, so I always ask my podcast guests three questions at the end. Um, so they just helped me to get to know you a little bit better, but our audience really likes it as well. Cause I might get to know you on a little bit of a different level outside of the teaching world. Yeah. So, well, and the first one, I guess is related to teaching, but who has had the most influence on your teaching career? Um, my grandpa, um, my grandpa is why I'm a teacher in the first place. Um, he actually, um, he passed away from cancer partway through, um, college. So he never actually like, I don't know if they saw me in the classroom, but, um, but yeah, he was, he was very influential in my becoming a teacher. Was he a teacher himself or he just pushed you in that direction? He was a pastor. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm in a pretty conservative church where women aren't pastors. Um, and so when I, essentially, I, I told him that I wanted to be a pastor when I was about six years old. And he told me, no, you can't do that. Um, and, you know, we, we had the whole conversation about why and things like that. And he said, well, but I want to be just like you. What can I do so I can be just like you? Yeah, oh, that's so and, sweet. And he, he said you could be a teacher. Like, that would be, that was kind of the next closest thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a really sweet story. <laughs> I have goosebumps right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't kind of like holding back the tears a little bit. <laughs> oh, what a great memory. That is so sweet. Um, okay. My next question is a little bit more lighthearted, but I like to think of myself as a foodie. Um, so I always ask people what their go-to order is at their favorite hometown restaurant. So some of the struggle for me is that I don't really like, I kind of have a hometown, but, yeah, but <laughs> at the beginning we moved a lot. Yeah. 
<laughs> so um, I don't necessarily, I don't have a specific hometown restaurant that I really identify with. Um, but I really do love a good bacon, black and blue burger. That's, that's my jam. Oh, I have not had that ever oh. in my whole entire life. <laughs> if you like blue cheese, even a little bit, it's get some caramelized onions on there. There are some places that just have some real good sauce they put on it. Oh, it's my that sounds good. I always get so hungry after I ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's all I want for lunch now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then I'll sleep all afternoon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the last question I have for you is, what are three of your simple joys? Um, snuggling with my kids, especially if they fall asleep snuggling. So mm. sweet. Yeah. Um, oh, I love it. That's probably number one. Um, quiet time to just sit and read or just sit and be quiet. Like not yeah. even anything, just quiet time. Um, and then I really like gardening. I'm not like... I'm not an avid, you know, one acre garden person. Um, but there's something really like just in, like yard work in general. Like it's very instantly gratifying for me. Like you see the weed pulled up. Um, yep. yep. The work getting done as you're doing it. Um, you get to just kind of be outside and those are probably the three. I am so with you on all of those, but very much the gardening. <laughs> I, um, I just early this morning was over gardening a person's house um, that I do just like a little part-time job in the summer. And I just love it. Like it's so satisfying. Awesome. Yeah. So, well, how can the audi audience find you if they have any other questions or want to connect up with you? Um, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. Otherwise, probably the easiest way to get in touch with me is email um, becky.haddad at oregonstate.edu. Um, and yeah, I'm happy to connect from there. Um, one of the things on your question sheet was, you know, what support and resources are available for teachers. And we talked about a lot of different things that, you know, are available in each of the different categories we talked about. But I think one of the things being on, being on this side of Ag Ed where I'm, I'm equipped to do research a little bit better um, is that, you know, I, like in general, I think we want to do research that matters. I think when I was an IT teacher, I forgot that the folks at the university did, did research. Um, and so when I think about, you know, what do I need to do about this? I, I wouldn't ask them like, hey, do you know anybody who knows a lot about this um, or who researches this? I just, it wasn't on my radar at all. So thinking about your university folks in terms of what are they actually what are they what are they researching and how are they kind of working to solve problems um, and even if it's not the specific problem you're trying to address they they probably know the person like ag ed's a small profession but ag ed in higher ed is is really small <laughs> yeah i bet <laughs> so they'll know they'll know the person who's thinking about that and if nobody's thinking about it, they'll say hey maybe i need to be thinking about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm really glad you brought that up. And I, I guess I've never really thought about it, but it probably is a fairly small group of people that we could connect up with and, and ask them to think about stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, thanks again. I am so appreciative that you spent almost two hours with me chatting. And oh my gosh, this was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> extra hour and a half with technology issues. Um, but I just really appreciate it. And, and I'm so thankful that you were on. Thanks so much for having me. Hannah. This was great.
this is the part of the podcast where I ask you guys, the listeners, for um, support. So if you like this podcast, you like what I'm doing, you like the content I am covering, um, as always, please send me an email and let me know because that's super helpful. But you can also support the podcast by going to, um, if you go to the Anchor website on your laptop or desktop or whatever else, and you search Egg with Miss Wedger, there is a button that says support this podcast. Um, and so you can pick a amount that you would like to donate um, or you would like to allocate to the podcast and that just supports um honestly the time that I put into the podcast so I spend a lot of time recording I spend time going through and making sure that there's no like weird microphone issues or whatever else um and then I spend time setting everything up getting questions all that good stuff uh so if you like the podcast I would love, love, love your support. If you're not there yet, that's totally fine too. I understand that 100% completely. Um, but go ahead and follow me on Instagram. Um, let me know what you want to hear. Um, if you want to be a guest yourself, all that stuff is great. So thank you and I hope you have a great rest of the day. You just finished listening to Ag with Miss Wedger, where I'm sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with each of you. I hope you enjoyed listening and learned a little bit more about our topic for today. Visit my Instagram at Mrs. Wedger to follow along on my daily journey as an agriculture teacher, a wife, and a mama a two. If you have any questions or ideas on topics you want me to dig in and cover, or if you, yeah you, <laughs> Want to be a guest? You can send me an email at eggwithmisswedger at gmail.com. I hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Bye bye, everybody.